I'll just sit tight. I want to welcome everybody to the Mauer Report. First, I want to thank everybody for listening and taking an hour out of your week. I know how valuable time is. Before we begin, the views and opinions of the show or those of the host and guest uh, do not reflect any sponsor, Simulcasting Radio Network, or anyone else. They're just, just calm down. We're just having some fun and talking a little bit. Uh, if you have not been to Mauer.com, come over to Mauer.com. You can find all the links, all the podcasts, all the other stuff. Last thing. Stay tuned for my favorite iTunes review of the week at the end, well, towards the end of the program. I have a good one I picked up. It's some hate mail. But anyways, oh, I shouldn't have spoiled it like that, right? I think I should have left that hanging. Anyways, my guest tonight is Leon Bibby, and we're going to talk Adam, is that an equal sign in there? That's an equals. (laughs) An alien. (laughs) That's always good. I I wrote it down, and I didn't think twice about it, and now I went to read it, and I went, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Learn, <laughs> so, learn before, that. Before we get, how are you doing tonight, Leo? I'm well, thanks, Jim. How are you? Pretty good. So let, let's rewind the tape to the very beginning. What made you even ponder this? I, I told you honestly that I had pondered this idea myself. So I'm guessing probably some late night and you're just thinking, well, how do these two biblical creatures magically appear? Yeah, exactly. You know, my two brothers saw told me they saw UFOs in the 80s. Um, basically mid-80s to the late 80s. And I didn't believe them. I was a skeptic. I said, you know, you must have been drinking. It's impossible. There's no way. They don't exist. And um, I would later read in newspapers that, you know, UFOs spotted over the sites that they were in. One was in um, Westchester, New York, over 684, uh, Highway 684, saw a huge triangular 400-foot UFO. Um, hovering actually right near the a nuclear power plant in Scarsdale. And then my other one saw f- uh, five burning lights over the Atlantic Ocean by East Hampton on uh, Long Island. So initially I didn't believe it and then I would just uh, I would just watch the History Channel or whatever shows were on about aliens and I found it fascinating. And I just started reading up about it and you know started with UFOs and I would take long flights to China because I owned a, a lighting company and I was making my lights in China. And I would take long flights to China and just read, you know, voraciously everything I could f- put my hands on um, related to UFOs. And uh, one thing led to another. UFOs led to um, NSA documents, CIA documents, any and all military documents. That led to, um, believe it or not, just a jump to the Sumerian tablets. Um, NSA information about the Sumerian tablets and um, Bush going into Iraq, uh, partially to get the Sumerian tablets, and 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 then I started reading about the Sumerian tablets. What are they? You know, what did they talk about? How were they deciphered? Um, and then, in looking through all of my information, I started then looking at you know the pyramids and monoliths and strange places on earth um and i just started to just put the pieces of the puzzle together and i was fascinated with it and and uh, just uh, just dug my heels into it you know you mentioned george w bush and i i always get when i think of people going after things like collecting things i think about hitler right because he tried to collect every antiquity is that the, is that a word even yeah yeah um <laughs> Sometimes I, I scare myself because I don't want to sound like George W. Bush when I uh, <laughs> when I start talking. Uh, <laughs> Not yet. After a glass yeah. of wine, maybe. <laughs> I was gonna say maybe it might it might happen before long. But um, so I'm surprised there was anything. I mean, because he gathered a lot of stuff, but I guess he wasn't over that far to even consider grabbing these. But I'm surprised they. I guess I'm always surprised when things from thousands and thousands of years ago still exist, based off of just everybody's wanting to have them. Yeah, you know, a lot of people just think it's just myth and the talk about, you know, characters like Hercules and, um, you know, these these mythological Greek characters or any type of characters that, that don't exist. And the further along I got uh, in researching and sort of putting together various things like philosophy and um, history, religion, uh, putting all of these thought processes together, I just said to myself, there's got to be something more to this. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff uh, out there. You may there. have spoken to yeah. George. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, Sitchin was an absolute genius. He was a, an amazing uh, historian, researcher, um, and, and he researched the, t- the tablets and found out through an, a, a linguist and a, 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 um, a University of Pennsylvania um, linguist that what the tablets actually said um, Sitchin just basically read through as much as he could and uh, started digging up this amazing story about the Anun- Anunnaki, um, which were a humanoid alien species, still still is a humanoid alien species, from a planet in our solar system, came to Earth um, in search of gold. They needed gold um, because their, their, uh, their species were dying from irradiation. They had no ozone layer very similar to us they're blowing out their ozone and uh, no no ozone layer they were dying of radiation and they needed a a, a thin malleable a substance to explode into their atmosphere and we've known about this for us has known about this for 60 70 years exploded into the atmosphere and create almost like a, a shield uh, to push back the heat and uh, so after reading that and Saying to myself, this can't, this could not have been just a story. I mean, this is written seven thousand years ago, and how would they know about exploding gold into the atmosphere to create a, <laughs> you know, an ozone? You know, it's it's it was just too improbable to be true. Well, I mean, it still sounds. I mean, it's hard to believe. I mean, I understand it and do. Like I said, I I, I started this theory in my head. So it's not like it's out of left field. It's just still hard to wrap your head around. Though. Yeah, you know, I initially, again, as, as I said, I was a skeptic. I didn't really believe it. Um, but then, you know, just r- reading more and more of the translations of the tablets, um, talking about, you know, two of our planets in our solar system, Uranus and Neptune, being wa- like watery, they use the words like watery twins. And then the Hubble telescope in 1986 taking pictures of Uranus and Neptune saying they look like watery twins, you know, uh, some, something like that is just, I mean, how, how, how could they have seen that? And then there's depictions of uh, a V-shaped spacecraft navigating through the asteroid belt. And this is 7,000 years ago, navigating through the asteroid belt to try to get to Mars and then from Mars to Earth. So it just impossible, you know. Even even if <laughs> even if they had a sense of humor seven thousand years ago, which I don't think they had much of one, um, you know, just thinking about you know shelter and reproduction, um, how would they have known about the asteroid belt? You know, it's like things like that that are just you know impossible. Well, I'm thinking you talked about navigating from the asteroid belt into near Mars and back over. I'm just, say, I'm just sitting here saying, so I'm just going to be honest. There are times that I don't listen to my GPS, like, you know, driving down the road. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. You get from here to uh, to Cleveland. Yeah. But, but, but you know, it's, I, I, I just thought that it was just incredible information, you know, and then the pyramids. I was looking at the pyramids and just saying to myself, there's no way that, you know, humans could lift, you know, four ton stones in a perfect um you know it's in the shape of pie it's just impossible and who would put it in the shape of pie anyway you know and then and then the three pyramids being in the shape of a pythagorean th- uh, triangle i mean come on you know well, who, who what, let's let's be real though i mean think about the tech the quote unquote i'm going to use technology to cut the stones right exactly how are you going to cut the stones exactly and the funny part is, and no one talks about this. There's, the, and I put, and I have this in my second book, Adam Decoded, a little bit in that, and Adam equals alien, but mostly in Adam Decoded, pictures of these huge monoliths, huge stones with perfect, you know, circular, like almost like it was screwed by a screwdriver, with little rivets inside of the stone, and we're talking granite. You know, you can't cut granite. Today, unless you have a very, very sharp, you know, almost like an ultrasonic drill with a with a diamond tipped, you know, tip, you, you can't get that thread mark in granite 
you know, 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It's just impossible. And, and, you know, all they had in those days were, you know, copper tools and and stones and things like this. So, you know, to have these holes in, in, in granite, it's just, it's, it's impossible. Oh, and my friend sends me a picture of lumber that I miscut because I didn't measure it right. <laughs> I'm going to call you Homer before the end of this show. <laughs> I, I do love these people that listen to my show. Honestly, I do. But that was just too much. I didn't need that right now because, you know, we're talking about cutting stones the right size. And here's a big – well, it wasn't a big pile, but it was – I missed it by my foot. I'll Did be you? Honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It looks- happens. Yeah, you know, you can go back to it and recut. Yeah. After you go to Home Depot and buy some more. But anyways. <laughs> but I was able to successfully build a smaller one too. But <laughs> there you Proof go. Concept. Start. That's right, what a concept. <laughs> so okay, so you start gathering, you start reading and well, then there's you know, this quest for knowledge and then obviously you turn the corner at some point and start to put it together into a book. When did that happen? Nineteen 19- it started. It started in '99, and I and I I, I said ah, got to write a book. I didn't publish until 2014. That's that's how much research I did. It, it, it's like f- 14 years, and um, I just got motivated sometime in 2013, and just said I got to do something about it. There's just too much information out there. Um, and I've got oh, so to do something. So you weren't writing that whole time. Okay. So that wasn't, it's not a 50. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. I was so. just researching and, you know, just, just for fun, just researching and enjoying it and uh, talking to my friends about it. But then, then in, you know, 2010, 2011 started to get serious. And then, um, yeah, 20, 2013 started writing and put my first book together, Adam equals alien, you know, sticking long and hard about a title. And quite frankly, you know, Adam being the first human, you know, quote unquote, the first human, Equals alien was sort of fitting because that's what I that's what I think you know that we are of aliens and um, you know and and you know it's it's funny because I, I grew up sort of religious but then you know looking back now with a different eye uh, you know in the both the old and the New Testament you know it's amazing the type of information I'm gleaning now out of the uh, out of you know the old and New Testament. Looking at it in a different light, looking at it that, you know, the Anakim, which is listed in Old Testament 61 times, the word Anakim is. And Anakim is plural for Anunnaki, right? Isn't that interesting? So the Anakim, um, who who were they? You know, they were always depicted with angels' wings, with wings. And, of course, I'm thinking wings, UFO, flying machines, right? So I'm thinking that and, um, you know, talking about you know, miracles performed um, on earth, even, you know, Moses going up Mount Sinai and seeing God and then coming back down with a like a burnt face and gray hair, thinking to myself, oh, he was irradiated, you know, and then, you know, thinking about, you know, Ezekiel's climbing up the stairway to heaven, you know, and, and the depiction of the stairway to heaven with the smoke and the billowing clouds and the fire and brimstone. You know, this 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 guy's walking up a, the steps of a UFO, you know, and I just the more and more I just read about it, I said, oh my god, this there's really some substance to this, and there, there's got to be, you know, like fifty percent of what we read in the Old and New Testament have to be, you know, kicked off of some, you know, for several scribes over the years. Having seen and and told from one to the other what really happened, and so I, I, I just think it's incredible. And then, you know, and then the Bible saying it several times. You know, then God said, "Let us make man into our image and our likeness," and it uses the plural several times. You know, it doesn't say in my image, my my likeness. Um, so I, you know, I just thought all those things are you know were just too good to be true, and there there had to be. A backstory and and something, re- and then comparing and contrasting the Old and New Testament to the Sumerian tablet translations. Um, you know, I, I said this is a slam dunk. Well, you have I, I, what caught me was as you were talking about these people back in the Old Testament. The first thing that pops in my head is flying anything has to be kind of scary. 
<laughs> right? Right? Besides birds, they have airplanes, helicopters, drones, any, you know, like, we kind of take the concept of flight for granted, right? So anything that kind of would come down or have wings that was, was bigger than a bird, I mean, even Mothman today kind of scares the <laughs> out of people, right? <laughs> Absolutely, it would. I mean, yeah, think about it. This We're talking about, you know, a civilization 3000 BC. You know, um, could you imagine 3000 BC, you know, looking and seeing a UFO, you know, land in Lebanon, okay, in, in Baalbek, Lebanon, where there's these huge monolithic stones, 80 feet by 30 feet, cut perfectly, okay, to, to land UFOs on. Seriously, this I mean, that was the reason. It wasn't just for decoration. I, I imagine these, these, you know, these people looking up at a UFO landing, you know, on on Earth. It's just, I guess, what what other way would they describe it? Chariots of fire, right? That was, they, they had chariots in those days, so they would describe it as a chariot with fire uh or they would they would they would they would depict in my opinion they would depict humans with wings as people that flew in the air um you know i'm sure you know leonardo da vinci and several several uh, painters have painted ufo's in their paintings um uh with fire coming out you know and and uh showing obvious propulsion you know up above their beautiful scene you know there's a there's a depiction of a UFO. So, you know, to me, it's sort of a, you know, uh, you know, it's just of a glimpse or a little hint into, you know, hey, you know, while I'm showing you a picture of, you know, these people in a scene, you know, drinking or having dinner or, you know, in a, in a field, you know, hey, there's a UFO above it. <laughs> you know, that's that's nothing like anything we've ever seen because we – haven't come up with an airplane yet, so I just I, I I just find it you know incredibly interesting that these you know these um, these great thinkers and these great painters and um, you know had the had the um, the foresight to really really sort of say hey you know this is really going on we've seen these things they exist it's reality you know verse versus you know just you know. Pa- you know, catering to what was what was told to them by the governments, by the churches, by whomever. You know, shut your mouth. This is the way the world is. This is the way history is. This is the way man was developed. And you know, that's another thing, Jim. You're asking. You know, what piqued my interest? Believe it or not, and you might laugh at this. I used to. Be, I was a pre med in in, uh, in college. I went to college in St. Louis, and I was a pre med, and I I was I loved biology. And I always wondered about, you know, the missing link, you know, in biology, you know, the, the, the Neanderthals, Cro-Magnons, Homo sapiens. And there was always that Darwin missing link that nobody could ever figure out because there were never any remaining fossils, right? There's, there were all these fossils of, you know, transitions, but there weren't any fossils, uh, tr- transitional fossils between uh, Cro-Magnon and Homo sapiens. So that always piqued my interest and I always was like, well, how come there aren't any fossils? We found so many, the Lucy's and all of these Australopithecuses and all of these other fossils, but we haven't found any transitional fossils between Cro-Magnon and human. And another thing that I found very interesting was our, our brain development. Our brain development from a million years ago to 200,000 years ago was 16%. All right, it went from 950 cc's to to I'm sorry, 750 cc's to 950 cc's, and then from 200,000 years ago up through 15,000 years ago, it grew by 55 percent, from 950 cc's to 1,450 cc's. So it jumped, and people, you know, a lot of people I speak to say, oh, because we developed tools and you know we started uh, tinkering with this and that and the other thing, but Remember, we're talking 15,000 years, you know, prior to Christ. So we're still not really tinkering with astrology yet. You know, we're still, you know, maybe tinkering with, 
you know, a wheel or something like that, but not even close still. So how could the brain jump so fast? Something must have happened. So then I read Crick, um, who cracked the DNA genome in 1950, and I read several of his books. And in some of his books, he talks about um, chromosomes 22 to 23. You know, humans have 23 sets of chromosomes, 46 chromosomes. And um, from 22 to 23, there appeared to have been an intervention. Something happened. And why does he say that? He says that because the diameter, because you know how a GNA helix looks uh, like a spiral ladder, the, the, the diameter between on, on one of those sides of the helix are the same width from 1 through 22. But the diameter from 22 to 23 is twisted and almost thinner, almost like an L shape versus a C shape. So something happens. There was some intervention, and he, he mentions in his book, uh, in his books, that there was definitely an intervention. He doesn't know what it was, but but something happened, and it couldn't have been mutation, because if if it was mutation, it would have been over millions of years, and it would have been very slow, and it would have been very small. But it, it looked more like like today's test tube baby, you know, interventions where we cut and snip and paste you know genomes and so so there was something way more to this and then i said okay crick who cracked the dna code said there was an intervention darwin who claims to have figured out you know the evolution of man but has said in his own words that that there have been uh, there's been a missing link you know put the one and one together and said you know something happened Something definitely happened. And, you know, I just found it very interesting and it just piqued my curiosity. It does. Okay, so let's let's go back. I have questions all over the board. I've got some listener classmen starting to filter in, but I've got to ask this question before I get to theirs. So you get the you, – you probably, you know, write in the book and now you come across – you're going to tell somebody, right, that you're kind of working on this. Uh, how, how did the first time uh, you told somebody to go when it didn't necessarily – because I'm sure – like when I when I started doing my show, way back in the day, I, I was just doing paranormal talk, right? I just wanted to talk about ghosts and demons and all that sort of fun stuff, and then it kind of just took over wherever it went. But there was some significant, um, I'll say it, what the hell are you doing kind of questions from people mm-hmm. because they didn't want to, you know, they don't want to talk about that and they don't want me talking about that. So I'm sure you had a similar event take place early on in writing your book. Oh, yeah. Fifty uh, percent of my friends said, "You, you know, you're, you're nuts. You're crazy. Why are you wasting your time? Doesn't make any sense. No one can prove it anyway. You know, why are you even delving into this?" And but fifty percent, you know, at the dinner table over a bottle of wine, fifty percent said, "Yeah, I believe in aliens. I believe it's true. I believe something happened." Now they didn't know anything about the Anunnaki. You know, they didn't know anything about Sitchin, or you know, they had heard about the Roswell UFO crash. And stuff like that. They didn't really know the the inner workings of like pyramids or you know um, monoliths, anything like that. And they didn't really take the time to put all of those things together. But but yeah, I got a lot of I got a lot of sl- flack in, initially. But the truth is, I mean, I, you have to stand up to it because if if you have enough data behind what you're saying, at least pe- you'll pique someone's interest and they'll say, "Hmm, that's interesting." Let me check. Let me check them out, and then they'll go check me out and say, "Oh, you know, you've got you've got it ninety five percent, but you didn't discuss this part, or you know, did you ever consider this other part?" And I always piqued people's interest because it is a fascinating to me. It's the most fascinating thing, you know, because I always wondered, you know, where do we come from? Who are we? Where are we going? You know, how are we made? You know, who is God? You know, all of these things, you know, Garden of Eden, where was it? What did Adam look like? You know, the snake, uh, all of these things, you know, piqued my interest. And I wanted to sort of dig into it because I really didn't understand it. I didn't understand it since, you know, Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills Abel. He gets banished from uh, from the garden and and into the the land of Nod, right? And then the next chapter in, in Genesis, it talks about, you know, Cain f- fruitful and multiplying. 
<laughs> so I said to myself, who did he multiply with? You know, he's in the land of Nod. You have one a supposed woman on Earth. That's Eve. She's in the, the Garden of Eden. I, I don't get it. You know, so a lot of things didn't make sense to me. And I said, something's up. You know, something's up. It just, it's just not checking out. Yeah, but, uh, you, know, you hear that story when you're a kid. It makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> right. And then, the, and then the older you get, the more questions start to come up. And then the more questions and more questions. And, well, here we are tonight. No. Here, we are. <laughs> here we are. So my uh, first question from WR250 is, what do you think about the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, I think it's uh, super interesting. Um, I think it was a telecommunication device uh, between, um, at that time, the Jews uh, in Israel and uh, one of the gods, and I I use gods with a small g, right? One of the gods, in my opinion, one of the Anunnaki gods, and I think it was Enlil. Um, So I think Enlil um, created this device, which is interesting because the two cherubim on both sides create an electrode. Um, And they also talk about, you know, the priests who had RH negative blood, who were the only type of humans to handle the Ark of the Covenant, which I find incredibly interesting. So only 15% of humans have RH negative blood. And um, that it was all like, you know, gold leafed and gold on top and um, they'd carried around um, from place to place, and I, I, I actually think it was a telecommunication device, so device so that God could speak through speakers, um, small God, you know, G, small G, um, could speak through speakers to the tribe and tell them do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. So yeah, telecommunication advice. So that leads me to two interesting questions, and I'll get try to get back to theirs. Um, does it still exist? Because I know there's been this great hunt for it. I don't know. I've read that it's on Elephantine Island in Ethiopia. I don't know if that's true or not true, but apparently there's a church there, and I've seen this on the History Channel. There's a church there that supposedly uh, has it. I don't know if it's true or not true, but if it is true and they do have it, I think that's unbelievably interesting. And then why do we have to wait thousands of years to have cell phones? Oh, wait, that's... I know, right? Could you imagine? Raiders of that's the That's not a fair question for you. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you think about it. Maybe I mean, we did have cell phones. <laughs> Could you imagine finding a cell phone in, like, the Giza pyramid, you know, or the, like, tomb of one of the, one of the mummies? I think it would be crazy. Well, you it'd know you're going to find them in people's to- or tombs. Uh, graves now. I'm pretty sure people are going to be buried with them. If they already aren't, probably, yeah. Su- suggesting a new trend here: take take the phone and take the charger because you know, you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> when you get to the other side, start sending me text messages. Uh, <laughs> exactly, it'll work. I'm sure, and I, I don't worry about paying the uh, out of network charge. Just just send them anyways. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> imagine getting a Verizon bill from 2043. You know, it'd be pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine how? But never mind. Uh, <laughs> anyways, back back to the serious stuff. Um, this this question comes from Cat. Um, some people believe that a meteor killed the dinosaurs. Was there actually a craft from another world? What do you think about this? That's a great question. I've heard that before. Um. You know, there's there's evidence to show that there was a meteor, uh, I think it's 70 million years ago, that, that slammed into the Gulf of Mexico, right, creating the panhandle and that part of – and, you know, a, a huge cutout in Mexico. Um, and that probably had something to do with it. The Sumerian tablets do talk about uh, – they don't say dinosaurs. They don't use the words dinosaurs, obviously, but they say prehistoric animals and they do talk about – um, the Anunnaki not wanting anything in their way, you know, uh, causing any trouble for them in their goal of collecting as much gold as possible off of Earth. So they, quote unquote, um, they navigated, I guess, through pulse beams, 
right, uh, pulse beam weapons or anti-gravity devices. They navigated a meteor or several meteors into Earth to kill the dinosaurs. But but then you're talking about millions of years ago, not hundreds of thousands of years ago. So it may not have been the Anunnaki. Maybe it was another race. Maybe the Pleiadians or another race of aliens. But I have heard that before, and I thought I think it's very very interesting because I really don't know what knocked out the the dinosaurs. But whatever did knock them out um, must have been obviously create a huge climactic change, killed all of them uh, or most of them. Um, you know, in one fell swoop over what a hundred years, two hundred years, something like that, five hundred years, some small amount of time. But I've ha- I've have heard heard that before, and I think it's fascinating. I don't know the answer to it, but um, it could be one of several things. That's the fun part. When you, I'm, I'm glad you heard that before, because I was sitting here trying to process it. You know, is like, you know, don't a- don't ask a question you don't know the answer to, kind of deal. <laughs> you know, I've I've had a number of attorneys on my on my show tell me that. And uh, that's pretty much what I do all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's a very good question. Last, the last person that posed it. Okay, so here, here's the next one from them. Uh, so what's your opinion on out-of-place artifacts such as small gold planes artifacts found in Mayan and Aztec's tombs? I've seen, yeah. some, I've seen a little uh, article on this. I didn't dive too deeply into it, but that just for the simple fact that they exist and they – is it just our mind playing that they are airplanes, or do you think that's actually what they were, you know, actually meant to be? They're definitely airplanes. Um, I have a I have a chapter in my book Adam Equals Alien uh, called Physical Evidence of ETs, and it lists thirteen um, thirteen points uh, of what I think are, are just physical proof of 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 uh, of, of alien. Inhabitants, and one of them is the Sakara bird, which is what she's talking about. Uh, the Sakara bird, they thought it was a brooch when they found it um, initially. It was found in Egypt. It's actually now in the Museum of Cairo, and it looks like a little hawk. Um, but if you but if you look closer to it, it's got aeronautical features. It's got the wings. It's got it's got everything resembling. An airplane. And then I think it was 1996, right around there, there was a there was a group of aeronautic engineers um, in Germany, and they put together a large-scale um, copy of this Saqqara bird to the exact dimensions of the bird. And don't forget, it's small. It's about maybe two and a half inches by two and a half inches. It's tiny. It, it, you know, it's actually – it's in gold. Um, and they put it, they put this, this, uh, this model into a wind tunnel and it flew. It, it, it was aerodynamic. Um, and, and it flew. So the dimensions of this Sakara bird, uh, were, were proportional to an airplane. So in my opinion, there's no way that this could have been a, bro- a hawk brooch. You know, it, it definitely must have been a depiction of of an airplane. As a matter of fact, there's a depiction of an airplane in King Djoser's uh, tomb uh, outside of Giza. Uh, whereas actually, there's a picture of an of a helicopter, uh, an airplane, a UFO, and uh, another. They're not sure what it is. Another trans transport device, uh, and it's depicted on on top of a on top of a entranceway. And it was actually covered. It's very interesting because a, a lot, you know, you never know what some people in the 1800s or early 1900s have done in the in the tombs in Egypt or whatever to cover up evidence. But it was actually covered. It was covered for 50 years, and part of the plaster fell off, and and a and a tourist noticed it and said, "What is that?" And one of the um, one of the people taking the tourists through the tombs through the tomb said, "You know, I have no idea. I took a picture of it." And uh, it it went viral, and this picture can be found on Google. You can see it on on Google, but it's it's pretty amazing considering the fact that it's carbon dated to, you know, thirty seven hundred BC, I think thirty seven hundred BC, and you know, to depict a helicopter, an airplane, okay, a UFO could be a disc or it could be something like that, but a helicopter, no way, no way. 
And so I, I just, you know, I find it, I find it fascinating. But yes, to answer her question, the Sakara bird is is real, uh, and and it, it depicts an airplane. So I've got two totally different questions at this point. So we're going to go off one and then cycle back to the other one. Um, scale airplane that just blows my mind because you know, back to the point I was making earlier about cutting wood to the wrong size, just you know, to be that intricate and that detailed. I just find it fascinating, especially with. Uh, primitive tools of the day just kind of like give me a block of I don't know what's something I could hammer you know um, aluminum and try to recreate the same thing twice with two different I, I don't think I could do it let alone taking something from scale down to maybe that's just my own short fall ah, anyways <laughs> <laughs> that's enough a homer in you <laughs> enough, enough about my problems um <laughs> What, what about this one? This this one always seems to be a wild topic that comes up once in a while. What if, what if these people are time travelers, and they came and they seen us with helicopters or whatever, and these other things that we can't identify or UFOs were something still in the future? You know, I think there are time travel. I, I believe in time travel. I, I think there definitely are time travelers. I just don't know if they would have gone to Egypt um, because it was sort of one – theme in Egypt. It was, you know, it was Osiris and Isis and, you know, this whole God theme um, there. And, and it was, you know, the, the Egyptian writing was all con- consistent and the, and the way that they wrote and drew were consistent. I don't know if time travelers would have done that per se. However, I have read um, some incredible stories. Actually, I, I Write about one of the stories. Um, I think it was in Adam Decoded um, of a story in New Mexico where um, a cave was found, and inside the cave, several other caves were found, and inside of these other caves were found magnificent paintings, uh, very weird paintings, one room separate of the next. And 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 when I say paintings, I don't mean like cave drawings. I mean like just almost like um, nouveau art, you know, paintings. And then in the last of the sixteen caves, there was a disc, um, a CD, and then the disc took, I think it was like six years of NSA like linguists and trying to crack into this the the you know the what this disc said. Uh, and the disc said, and it's called the Wingmaker story. If your if your listeners want to check it out, the win- Wingmaker story, and the the disc talks about um, these time travelers, humans f- from Earth, seven hundred years in in the future, coming back, called the Wingmakers, and telling us basically. You know what's going to happen, and how to avoid uh, nuclear catastrophe. And I, I find that it's, I find it to be amazing. If it's true, I find it to be absolutely incredible um, evidence of of time travel and of humans time traveling, and and proof of humans time tra- traveling and leaving, you know, something that we could crack in in the year two thousand seven, two thousand eight, whenever they did it. Um, a, a disc, a CD, you know, um, that 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 they could figure out what it what it said and and uh, and plan accordingly based upon what they knew seven hundred years in the future. That's see, this is what I love. I love the argument of time travel, and then you know the people, you know, there's the whole conversation. If if somebody knew something, could they tell us and change history? And eh, we're not getting into that one, but. Okay, so uh, Kat sends me another question here. Bear with me, it's it's a bit lengthy, but it's a good one. In the 1980s, she read a scientific magazine that had an interesting art- article she's been trying to find more about. But the article says there were two sets of human skeletons found in a cave in South, Ama- uh, South America. This cave looked like they were living. Carbon dating su- suggests they lived with the dinosaurs. Have you heard anything about this? And what are your thoughts? I've read that there are human footprints next to dinosaur footprints. 
So if that's true, then that could mean that Homo sapiens had evolved millions of years ago. There's an author, um, trying to think of his name, but he wrote a book called, um, um, it's it's not coming to me now, but he wrote a book basically claiming that with another author claiming that humans existed, Homo sapiens existed millions of years ago, not even hundreds of thousands of years ago, and they did walk with dinosaurs, Homo sapiens, not Neanderthals, not you know cavemen, uh, but 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 intelligent Homo sapiens uh, did live alongside dinosaurs and if this footprint is true and real um then that's just another yet another incredible um you know inflection in evolution could have been that homo sapiens were created and then we went backwards and then recreated again or maybe several times recreated so um i didn't know it was south america could have been but I, I did I did see this um, this this photo and I thought it was it you know it was it was crazy it was really really wild so it, it, if that is true that then uh, then there could have been several evolutions um, of you know of modern Homo sapien um, yeah another good question <laughs> she's good. They're making my job easy tonight. I like this. Okay, so this is the easiest question. This this is a good question, but it's the easiest question I'm going to ask you all night. Uh, <laughs> we, we've we've talked about the books. We've talked about you. Where can people find the books, and where can people find you? Yeah, easy. Amazon uh, pretty much is uh, the easiest place. Um, Adam equals aliens. My first book. Um, Adam decoded my second. My new book is coming out June 2020 called uh, Blood Origins, which is the th- it's the third book in my trilogy. So uh, pretty much Amazon for now. I've got a contract with them. Um, uh, where can they find me? I have a website called uh, uh, www.adamalien.com, um, which I'm which I'm developing. It's an older one. It's about a uh, few years. Um, I started it uh, when I first put out my first book. Um, but I'm sort of evolving, um, and um, I've got a Facebook page called uh, The Adam series um you, and you could see my my interviews I'll, I'll post this interview on it um and so and so you'll see you'll see my interviews there it's going to be speaking about my documentary which i'm going to be doing next year um and so yeah pretty much facebook um and uh and online hey evolving is a good thing though right i mean i had never yeah. mind it's a cheesy joke um <laughs> <laughs> Scratch that one right off the table. Have another, uh, another cup of coffee. Yeah, that's just bad. That's a dad joke right there. I apologize. Um, you also mentioned to me when we were, we were chatting a little bit pre-show that you're doing Ancient Aliens next year. Yeah, I'm excited about that. You have to be. I'm excited for you. Yeah, thanks. I'm 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 really excited. They interviewed me um, after Adam. You know, after I did the Nuri George Nuri interview on Coast to Coast. Um, I was contacted by Prometheus Entertainment in California, and they interviewed me in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and I uh, was sort of jumping between two projects, and I couldn't do that series, uh, which was 2017, year 2017. Couldn't do 2017. So, But yeah, for 2020, uh, I will be on Ancient Aliens and um, talking specifically about uh, – Human evolution, biology. I'll be talking about um, some genes, some genes that exist in our um, in our genome that come from nowhere. They weren't passed down from primates, and uh, there's 223 of them actually that that uh, have no predecessor. That just nobody knows where they came from because they're they're not. You know, if if they, if we do only come from primates, then you know. Where does where did they come from? So where do these genes come from? And two of these these genes, one of them has to do with our speech, and another has to do with our cranial development. So, you know, I find that very interesting because those those are two of the genes that separate us from primates. Yeah, I was gonna say the uh, two, well, kind of the two important ones. Yeah, 
There's a few others, you know. There's a few. Yeah, others. well, but you know, the speech one and kind of, you know, that kind that kind of is the easy, functionable separation. Thank God for me and you, you know, having that one. I was going to say sometimes mine might be fractured, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but so. Where was I going with this? Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. I forgot. Two hundred twenty-three genes, right? Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so um, that that's going to be talked about more in my next book, Blood Origins, which delves into that. You know, I'm in, I'm going to get into several more genes besides those two genes, but um, I'm going to I'm going to get into scientists and uh, geneticists and anthropologists, archaeologists. And just um, dig into blood because at the end of the day, a lot of what I'm saying right now to you, um, you everyone and any of your listeners can check. You know, they can check on the Sumerian tablets and depictions of of airplane, you know, airplanes and pyramids, and all of these things can be verifiable. But if you dig into DNA and blood. And if you can prove that we are definitely not just from primates, um, then you can really sink your teeth into that one. And, you know, nobody can tell you otherwise because then that's that's real proof. So that hopefully is going to conclude my trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) I was just sitting here thinking – so how many more of these do you yeah, have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My wife's like, what are you going to write about next? And I was, you know, I actually thought about time travel because I, th- I think time travel is just so interesting. This this uh, John Titer yeah. character, I don't know if you've talked uh, about him. I haven't, but I've read, I've, I, I've been kind of digging. It's kind of a hard thing to talk about because I don't know who to talk to about with it. I mean, I guess there's this uh, second floating around, but... I don't necessarily know if I trust his story. I mean, the whole thing is kind of, um, how do I say this nicely? It takes a leap of faith to have, you know, to trust the first story, and then there's another to get to the second. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> and then there's a lot of YouTube videos with people showing on their iPhones a picture of, you know, this is where I come from, and it's 700 years in the future or 1,400 years. It's tough to believe. You know, it's tough to see and believe and sink your teeth into, but – Listen, if if um, you know if wormholes exist, right? Which we're pretty sure that they do, and the Einstein Rosen Bridge is real, you know, and we can travel from point A to point B, um, light years away, very quickly or quicker than it would take if we went in a straight line. Um, then, and if we're living in a you know multi-dimensional universe, then why wouldn't time travel be real uh, there's no reason to think why it couldn't be real and so um could there could there have been time travelers absolutely you know in 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 all of post and pre human history there there could have been time travelers um right under our noses you know you don't you can't really tell you know who a time traveler is and isn't but you know ju- just by virtue of of, I guess, some documents. But there's this manuscript out there called the Voynich Manuscript. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. It's called the Voynich Manuscript, and it was uh, found, I think, in the early 1900s. And it's a book um, that nobody can decipher. There's no known language. The the, the letters are it's it's there's pictures of like herbs and flowers and it's uh, almost like almost like a pharma like a pharmacologist's uh, botanist's book, but there's there's just depictions in there that that are similar to Da Vinci depictions of like humans uh, with you know sp- spreading their arms and with circles and the hexagons and diamond shapes and spheres around them, and um, I I say to myself sometimes that this. Voynich manuscript, if it's true, you know, could be a time traveler. It could be, um, it could be <laughs> a creative time traveler who came, you know, who wrote this book and and uh, has got all these equations in them, and then this um, 
you know, phonetics that nobody can read or understand, but, you know, incredibly intelligent um, sort of um, connect connectivity, you know, between, you know, biology and, and botany and uh, mathematics and all of these things that we just can't figure out right now. And, uh, you know, if, if, if that is true and, and if it were written by a time traveler, I think it's um, quite, quite miraculous. And I, I, I think there's books, you know, that are copies of the Voynich manuscript out there. Um, but the, the original manuscript is like a very large book. It's almost like as if like uh, these, um, mo- you know, these the, the books that the, the big paper that the monks used to write on, the big papyrus, you know, with ink. It's sort of like that, the original book. Um, and it was, I think it was found by a guy named Voynich in Serbia or somewhere around there. Um, but inc- pretty incredible stuff. You should check it out and, and, you know, tell me what you think of it. I'll have to because it's just caught my, I mean, it catches my attention because I love the things that don't, I mean, obviously I talk about a lot of things that don't make sense, right? <laughs> Aliens, ghosts, right. politics. <laughs> Religion. Um, right. Did I slide politics in there? Yeah, I did. Anyways, um, then you get to this level of um, like the like the top of the pyramid, right? The stuff that really doesn't make sense. And I just, I just Google search this as you were talking about it. And um, the few images that I see here just don't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's it, – you can't – I don't – I don't think anybody's really inspected it. The way it needs to be inspected, it could be a hoax, but I don't know. I, I, it's too. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, yeah, somebody in the 15th century just liked the doodle. Maybe. Could you imagine? That's I, mean, I mean, it is possible. It's not. It's, I mean, it's not, I mean, yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's possible. I, the theme is botany, right? Herbs yeah. and flowers and and. Um, you know this type of that, but then you, you'll you'll see these little equations scribbled on the top right. That's like, you know, I you know an Einstein equation or a you know the very weird. And obviously, you, and obviously wrote drawn first and then wrote around, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, Voynich manuscript. I, I always found it very interesting, and just some, it's something that. I've never been able to figure out. I don't. I don't think anybody has really been able to figure it out. And um, just, just I've always just said, hey, may, maybe this is a, either a time traveler or I don't know what it is. You know, just something in, super interesting. It is something. Like I said, it's the top of that pyramid for me. That's going to go in my favorites here. I'll, I'll close it up. We'll get back to that here after a bit. Because you know, not a good, not good radio. When I sit here and start looking at Google searches, um, <laughs> what do you think about the radioactive city in India dated back to about fifteen hundred BC or before? Wow! Yeah, crazy. Um, Speaking of crazy things, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's are they talking about Mahanjadaro? That one? I would guess so. Right, so it's probably Mahanjadaro. So it 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 is uh, pretty amazing because there is evidence of, um, I think uranium U fifty two, right? And and this this evidence uh, is a very clean uranium, and it's this, it's a it's a a novel uranium that we don't even have today. So it, it it's uh, there's there's vitrification there. Vitrification is is proof of um, setting off an atomic explosion. And so there's, you know, there's the uranium, there's, um, there's these, um, very irregularly shaped, um, stone there. And the, and the humans looks like, looks like that they were wiped out in one fell swoop. Looks like someone just like a Sodom and Gomorrah type situation, families together, holding hands, you know, male and female husband and wife with a little child next, next, you know, to them. And it looks like it looks like it was a uh, a nuclear explosion. You know, a lot of times, a lot of people ask me about nuclear explosions. I have a chapter in both my books about uh, vitrification uh, because you know, yet more proof of um, of aliens having been um, on Earth. And I believe Sodom and Gomorrah was a nuclear blast. I believe there's proof of it, um, specifically in Israel. 
There's a picture in my book of uh, a mountain in Israel um, that's cut unlike any other mountain. There are it almost looks like um, um, a a cheese grater. It's very it's it's a very it's it, it, the 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 mountain wasn't it wasn't um, it wasn't an erosion and it wasn't a, a erosion over millions of years. It, the mount the mountain looked like it was it was cut into by a saw and sliced like a cheesecake and um there's there's this same uranium u52 there um evidence there and i i believe that you know when they talk about you know lot's wife turning around and turning into a pillar of salt another interesting point of that in the bible salt in hebrew is vapor so if she turned into a pillar of salt she was vaporized essentially and if she was vaporized it couldn't have been from a volcano because there's no volcanoes there right it couldn't have been from a meteorite because there's no proof of that so it had to have been from a nuclear device and the sumerian tablets jim actually talk about the gods being they are very warlike there's two gods in particular, Enlil and Enki, brothers, half-brothers, fighting all the time, flying around in their vimanas, right, in their UFOs, and um, some of their children fighting with each other and setting off these pulse beam weapons and, um, you know, like Thor-like hammer bolts of electricity, flying around in anti- anti-gravity machines. It's talked about in the Mahabharata. In, in India, a lot. They, you know, they talk about, um, the Vimanas flying around and unleashing, um, uh, power greater than, 10 times greater than the sun. You know, and this is, this is spoken, you know, 5,000 years ago. You know, and so to me, the only explanation of this is that it's a nuclear device. So we joked about having phones earlier. Nuclear devices is just blowing my mind, which is a whole whole other show for another time. So I'll have to have you back. I want to thank you for this evening. And when the new book comes back out, look me up again, okay? Anytime. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. And that's Leon Bibby there, blowing my mind as usual. So, as promised, I picked out one of the worst iTunes reviews on the, um, excuse me, the Apple podcast reviews. Thank you, WR250, for correcting me on that earlier. Um, it's Apple Podcasts now. I will, you know, move that out of my vernacular just like I did. Good evening. There's some pretty bad podcasts out there, but this has to be one of the worst. I've tried giving this one more than one listen. Mallard never seems to be prepared. At, at least spend a few minutes getting your thoughts together and, and then going for gold. Sadly, this isn't the case. I've given it months and gone back. It's almost a joke. It's still the same. I tend not to bother with giving out bad reviews, but after a few lessons, I felt the need to do so. I, I come to here and see it's rated five stars. It makes me wonder if they even listen to the podcast, another podcast, forgetting names, mispronouncing names, forgetting questions he attended to ask, so on, to ask, etc. The list really goes on. Well, that was from five years ago, Chadster. And guess what? Still here. But I am reading, I'm going to be reading bad and good iTunes reviews through the weeks to come. So I need you to go over and leave iTunes review, Apple podcast reviews for the few weeks to come. So go over and read yours on iTunes, uh, on Apple podcast. Uh, or you can come over to themowardreport.com and you can read a bunch of them there at the bottom. You can leave your own there too. I'll read some of those as well as the weeks go by. But first, before we forget, Mallard.com, like I said, or TheMallardReport.com. You can come over and read a bunch of reviews from former former guests, former listeners. Uh, everybody out there has a, has left a review at one point or another, except you. I haven't seen yours yet. Let's get on that. Okay, before I forget, another thing I want to do tonight is thank the people who joined us live on the Duck Pond. Tuesday night's 9 p.m. Maybe sure best place to get your questions asked you. WR250 walks at night and Cat Ward. We're still here from Paranormal Heart. If you have not joined Paranormal Heart on Facebook, please go over and check it out. It's one of my, I don't want to say it's one of my favorite groups to hang out in. I don't hang out there enough, but um, you'll all understand soon enough 
well, I haven't been hanging out on Facebook that much the last few weeks. Uh, big stuff coming probably sooner than later. So that's what we've got for tonight. That's the Mauer Report. Yeah, some people don't. I probably shouldn't. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.